We are finishing up a series today. Uh, if you've been here, you know we've been in a series called Love is a Battlefield. And uh, as we've been saying, it turns out Pat Benatar had it right. Uh, love is a battlefield. And uh, there's tensions in all of our relationships. And we've been looking at what that looks like biblically to walk out those tensions and to, to win the battles um, that we fight every day. And so uh, we started with he versus me. We went to forget versus remember. And then last week it was nice versus kind. And today we're going to finish it up with trust versus control. And uh, yeah, this is going to get up in your craw a little bit, but it's a good, it's good. It's good. God's good and he's, he's faithful. And uh, I pray that this encourages you as well as challenges you. Uh, my text verse is out of Jeremiah 17. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, if you would, just for the reading of the word in honor of reading God's word. This is the word through Jeremiah, the word of the Lord from verses five to eight. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. Now, this is not trusting in a man. This is trusting in the human race, in trusting in somebody else or even in yourself. Cursed are you if you trust in man. This is what control looks like. If we trust in ourselves, we control. Who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And this is what he will be like. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. So we're promised that if we trust in ourselves, we're going to be like a shrub in the wastelands. But, everyone say but. I love this second part. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted in the water. So in contrast to a shrub in the wasteland, this, if we trust in the Lord, we will be like a tree planted in the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Beautiful promise from our God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time we have together today. Lord, I pray that your word would do the work that it is set out to do. In fact, we don't even have to pray that because we know your word promises us that it will not return void, that it will complete the work it has set out to do. So we thank you in advance for it. We pray that you would transform our hearts for your glory and for our good, and that our hearts would be good soil today, that your word would produce fruit in our lives, God. We come open for anything you want to do in our lives, God. Have your way in this time we have together. It's all for you and for your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen. All right, before you're seated, instead of the greeting again, since we greet too much, let's, uh, I want you to pray this prayer with me and repeat it after me. Lord, help me, Lord, help me. to be a tree, tree. planted by the water. By the water. Amen. 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 Okay, you can be seated. God bless you. Hallelujah tree planted by the water. You know, this verse is especially meaningful right now for, for all of us uh, because in just over two weeks, I don't want to say we're going to celebrate an anniversary. We're going to, an anniversary is coming in just over two weeks of the, uh, the, the moment that COVID-19 really started affecting this nation. Uh, it was the middle of March when our governor asked us to stop even having church services uh, in person. And so we went to uh, only online services for 10 weeks and uh, came back since then. But we all know it hasn't been the same since then. And in two weeks from now, it's going to be a year that that started. It's pretty incredible. 
you might say we've experienced a year of drought. And this verse tells us how to deal with drought in our lives. That if we, are a, if we trust in our God, which we can do as followers of Jesus, even in a drought, if we trust in him, that we will be like a tree that's planted by the water, that it doesn't matter when the heat comes or the drought comes, we can still flourish in life. Now, it doesn't mean we're not subject to the things that are happening and we don't, we just, we, we're oblivious to what's going on in the world, but we could still thrive, we could still flourish even in a season of drought because flourishing is not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside. It's where our hope is, it's where our trust is. And as bad as things have gotten in this country, we also know that we still have a hope in Jesus, that we can trust in Jesus, we can trust in his faithfulness and his goodness, and that he really is enough as we sang just a few minutes ago. And so this verse actually has a little more meaning to us right now. You know, one of the greatest challenges that, that, that I would say that as a pastor has in the ministry, in the church, is convincing people that come into this building on a Sunday of their desperate and utter need to put their trust in Jesus on Monday through Saturday. You know, Sunday morning, it's a little bit easier. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's not, but... When we're like-minded, we're all together in one room like this, it's a little easier to trust in Jesus because we're getting stirred up, right? But then Monday through Saturday happens, and it can be difficult for us to trust, put our trust in our God and not control our life like we are kind of wired to do. In fact, uh, Rick Warren, the pastor out at Saddleback Church out in California, he said that he has talked to literally thousands of people, individuals at different times, about the whole idea of trusting Jesus and what that looks like, Christians and non-Christians. And he said, across the board, I get one of three answers typically for the most part. One is that they're afraid if they trust him, they're gonna lose their freedom, which is ironic because trust in Jesus is really the only place to have freedom. Or that God's not gonna allow them to have any fun. If I really trust Jesus and live for him, he's gonna make sure I don't have any fun in life. Or third, that I'll become a fanatic, that I'll just become some religious nut and I'll, I'll be completely irrelevant, you know, in life. And these are the struggles that people have. And we could probably relate on some level to at least one of those struggles because this is a challenge in our life. Although the Bible is very clear that trusting Jesus is the better of the options, oftentimes he is our last resort. There's areas of our life where we, we give him control in certain areas. We, give him, we trust him in certain areas, but there's other areas we only trust him or give him any access when we've exhausted all of our other resources in our life. And I think that's partly because we kind of think or we feel like at least I know with myself I know what to expect. You know, that I know how I'm going to respond in a situation or I, I know my heart, you know, and so I know what's best for me. And so I think I should be able to control the situation. I'm using my brain. I'm smart. I can figure this out. But you know, the, the very next verse after this text verse that I read would tell us that we don't really know our own heart. In fact, in Jeremiah 17, verse nine, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. How many things? All things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? So you can't trust your heart. You can't trust that you know what's best for you because your heart is not only deceitful, it's deceitful above every other thing. That's a hard word for us to, to receive, isn't it? To think that my heart is deceiving me more than anything else. You know, I've, I've said it a little bit over the last couple months that 
you know, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. We've hurt ourselves more than anyone has probably hurt us in some time, sometimes in some ways. And it's because our heart is deceitful. There's times that, and I know you know this too, that you respond to situations that you look back and you think, man, I can't believe I responded that way, you know, in the moment or even in a, a bigger life decision where you've made a bad decision and you look back and you think, man, you know, that's why they say hindsight is twenty twenty because we can see it in the rear view, but seeing it in front of us is very difficult sometimes because we really can't trust our heart. We can't trust that we, that our heart is going to always lead us in the right direction or that we're going to respond in the way that God would want us to respond. You know, I, I know a lot, a lot of Christians struggle with road rage <laughs> and that's not our heart responding in a good way. That's, that's somewhat trivial, but it still shows us that Man, the fact that I got so mad at somebody for just not letting me in when I felt like they should have, that's probably not a good place to be, right? And the things we've even said to the windshield, hoping that no one else could hear us at those moments too. We can't really trust our heart, even though we think we know what's best for us. We really don't. And if we're honest, oftentimes our habits and our patterns show us that we don't really believe this verse, that we don't believe my text verse or this verse, that, that God it really is that important that we trust God, that we can't flourish unless we trust God. Because sometimes we weigh our options and we just feel like, I'm just gonna take care of this myself. Because see, we know that God is for his glory and I'm for my safety and my comfort, right? And it's okay, we know that God wants his glory and we're, we're kind of good with that in the, in the moment of worship or even in the moment of Sunday morning church. But when it comes down to it and the rubber meets the road, if I gotta choose between his glory and my comfort, sometimes I'm gonna choose my comfort. Now hopefully we get to that level of maturity where we, we win those battles more than we lose them, where we do want his glory more than we want our own or we want our own comfort or our own safety or our own prosperity or our own well-being. But we are still human beings. We still have a flesh that we're fighting with. That's why we're doing this series because every aspect of our life is filled with tensions. It's filled with battlefields that we have to be aware of so we know how to fight them so that we can win those battles in our life. Because you see, sometimes we can look like we trust Jesus outwardly when really inwardly we don't. We're actually, as Christians, we're good at faking that. We really are. And I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm, I can fake it with the best of them sometimes. You know, we know the posture. We know the position of our body that we need to have to make it look like we really trust Jesus. We can say the right things. We know the Christianese. We know the right things to do. We know even the right things to say. But when it comes down to it in our heart, we're not necessarily trusting him, even though we're giving that posture that we do. In fact, this verse where it talks about that, the shrub, the bush that is in the wasteland. I did some research on this and there's Many theologians that believe that this bush that he's talking about is actually a bush that in the, in the Hebrew, it's called arar, A-R-A-R. And this is a bush that actually can look like it's flourishing. It can look like it's actually doing okay. It actually even bears fruit. And there's, there's a fruit on it that looks appealing. But when you take this fruit and you open it, what you find is it's actually dry on the inside and rotted out and it has webs and the pit is completely dry. Very interesting, isn't it? that this is the reference that Jeremiah gives, that God gives us through Jeremiah saying that if you're gonna trust in yourself, you might give the appearance that you're flourishing, but you're not. And you know it. You might be able to fake other people out and fool other people, but you're gonna know it. And I'm gonna know it too, God says. You're not gonna be flourishing. And the, the fact of the matter is that the verse actually says that you will be cursed if you trust in man. 
And now that can seem pretty harsh. Like, is God saying, man, he's going to just, he's going to get me? If I'm trusting in myself, is he just going to curse me and, and not bless me? I don't know if it's even as much about that as it is just the understanding that if you're trusting in man, if you're trusting in yourself, if you're controlling your life yourself, you're going to be cursed in a way that it's not necessarily God coming against you, but just the very fact that you're putting your hope and your trust in yourself, eventually you're going to fall because fallible man is not designed to hold all of our trust. We're not designed for that. It's not in our DNA. We're not trustworthy. That's why Jeremiah goes on to say the heart is deceitful. You can't, you're not designed to trust yourself. And you might think, but I know myself and I know I can't. You really don't. You don't know your heart as well as you think you do. None of us do. And really, if you do know your heart, you know that it's deceitful. I know that I'm selfish. I know that I'm greedy. I know that I'm about me when I'm in my fleshly state. I know that. We all know that. I mean, you know, we joke. It's like, you want to know how your heart is, just get married. You'll find out in about a week how selfish you really are, right? Have kids, and it goes to another level. It's like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've faked being asleep when the kid was crying in the middle of the night, you know? And Joy bought it. She still buys it. She knows I'm lying right now. I, didn't, I was really asleep. But, you know, we, just, we see our heart in those situations, and we know we can't really trust it. it here's the illustration. You gotta, let's say you're going to boil some water. You take a pot, you fill it with water, you put it on the stove. The heat turns on, the water gets hot, starts to boil. You can use that water for making your ramen noodles or mac and cheese, whatever you're doing, right? You take that same water, you put it in a plastic bowl. It looks okay, it looks like it's holding it, but you put that bowl, that plastic bowl on a, on a burner, you turn up the heat, it's not going to end well. Best case scenario, you have water all over the place because that bowl is not designed to hold that water when the heat comes. Just like you are not designed to trust in yourself when the heat comes. If everything's going good, you can look like you're okay, but heat's coming. Heat is coming, and I'm not talking about the summer in Augusta. I'm talking about the heat of life that's coming in your life. We all know that. When, when, when corona is a thing of the past or it's under control, there will be something else coming down the pike. It may not be a pandemic, but it's going to be something because that's just how life is. And we're not designed to hold all of our own trust. We're not designed to control our life. But the beauty of it is, is that God gave us an out. He's like, you don't have to trust. This, this verse that we're given, it's not a threat from God. It's a beautiful promise. It's him saying, you don't have to trust in yourself. You don't have to trust in your own abilities. You can trust in me. If you trust in me, you'll not just look like you're flourishing. You will genuinely be flourishing in your life as you learn to trust me. And this isn't a, a black and white easy issue like today I decide I'm trusting God so everything's going to be good. It's a growth process. We learn how to trust in God. You know, if you just gave your heart to Jesus a week ago, it's going to take you some time to learn what it really looks like to trust him to trust him to, to take you to places where you can't get on your own, even in your, in your mental capacity and in, in your spirit and just being able to live a life for him and not for yourself. You know, the apostle uh, John the Baptist, he said, I have to decrease so that he can increase. That's a process of decreasing and increasing. It's not a, I need to vanish so he can be at the top. It's, it takes time. And we can trust him as we do that. Hmm. I'm getting ahead of my notes here. Talking too much. Here's the truth. It's not as much about whether or not your life would be manageable if you trust yourself and if you control your life. 
The issue here is what we find at the very beginning of that passage is that the fact that you cannot trust in yourself and trust God. Jeremiah tells us that. He says you cannot do it. If you put your trust in man, your heart turns away from God is what he says. Which kind of goes against some of our rational thinking, even in our faith. We think, well, you know what? I can trust God for salvation. Obviously, that's a no-brainer. You know, I'm going to trust God, take care of situations that are out of my control. But the things I can control, I'm going to kind of control those. I'm going to kind of trust myself in that. And so we think that we can kind of have our feet in both sides of the fence. And, God, and God's saying here through Jeremiah, you can't do it. If you trust in yourself, you will not trust in God. And so it's so important for us to understand what the expectation of God is in this because we miss out on a lot of the blessings of the flourishing that God wants us to do because we try to hold on to things in our life. We try to control things because we think we're better at it than God is. Because we don't know what God's going to make us do. If I give up control in my finances, I don't know what God's going to make me give my house away. You know, which God doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't like wait for us to say you can have control and God's like, ha ha, good. Give away your cars, your house and live in a ditch. You know, it's not who he is at all. But we get these ideas in our head that if I trust him, that it's not going to go well for me. I know I'm coming out swinging today, but uh, I just, I really want to challenge you guys and encourage you because I believe there's some really, really great truth in this verse. And let's be honest, it's hard to trust someone else other than ourselves. It just is. The older you get, the more people have let you down in life, the more disappointments you've encountered in life, the more you just want to kind of trust yourself. It's easier to control. It's easier to think that I'm the reason for my success in life. You know, it's easier to think I kept my nose clean, I work hard. I'm the reason that I'm successful. It's easier to, to take credit for it ourselves because it makes us feel validated about ourselves, makes us feel good about ourselves. In fact, the tendency is to take the very blessings of God sometimes in our life and use those to control. Let me explain. Uh, so let's, let's look at the, the, the wealth of the world, okay? We live in the United States. Statistically, we are 8% of the world's population. We are 33%, I think, of the world's wealth. Huge disparity there, right? Huge. In fact, of the millionaires in the world, it's by far five times more millionaires in the U.S., than in the second highest country of millionaires. So, I mean, the wealth obviously is huge here in this country. And for us as followers of Jesus, we'd say, you know what, that's a blessing from God. God has blessed this nation. This nation was founded on Christian principles and God has blessed us for it. And we've been, you know, we've been faithful friends of Israel and God is blessing us and, and God's blessed us financially. And we know in this country, we are set up for success better than anywhere else in the world, right? But then we take that blessing from God and we control it. We'll say in one breath, God, thank you for providing for me. And then God nudges you to be generous in some way, and you don't want to do it. Well, God, I know you, thank you for blessing me, but now I've got to hold on to it. You know, we control the very blessings of God. God blesses us, then he says, okay, I want you to tithe. I want you to give back 10% to me to use to build my kingdom. We're like, God, I, I can't do that. I mean, I need that. You know, like, I'm, I, I thank you for your blessing, but I, I can't really, I receive, but I'm not going to give. And we struggle with controlling the very things that God blesses us with in our life. And it's a tension that we have to manage in life. It's just, it's always going to be there in different areas of life. Whatever area that we're struggling with to control, that's the area where we're going to struggle to allow God to have his way in our life in those areas. And my, my, my own experience with this 
was with my business that I had before I gave it up to, to go into a vocational ministry. The Lord blessed us so much. He blessed us beyond my abilities because if he only blessed us for my abilities, we'd have been living in, a, in an outhouse and he went up over and above my abilities and blessed us in ways that there was at times I was just in awe of God's goodness and faithfulness. And he blessed us and we'd thank him for it. We'd come to church, we'd worship, we'd, I'd thank him, I'd get emotional about how good he's been to me. And then the next week he'd prompt me to, to do something extravagant, to give some away, to give to missions or something. And I'm going, I don't know, God. I mean, I, you know, I really I kind of like having this money, you know? And I'm struggling with, with controlling the very blessing that he has given in my life. And my, my hope today for us and my prayer for us is that on this journey that we would realize that there is no safer place to put our trust and our hope than in Jesus. There is no safer place. There's no safer place for our finances than to trust Jesus. There's no safer place for our health than to trust Jesus. There's no safer place for our relationships, for our kids, for our careers, for our jobs, everything. There's no safer place than to trust him. He's the only one that is trustworthy, and that includes you. He's the only one trustworthy in your life. So what I wanna do, I wanna give you what we've been doing this month through this series has given you some, some of the tensions, some of the battlegrounds of each of these topics. So let me give you a couple battlegrounds of trust versus control. And the first one is the mandate that God has given us. And it is faith versus sight. This is the mandate. This is the tension of what it means to trust God with our life. The, 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 uh, the tension that we find obeying, being obedient to his word. And it comes out of 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 7. Most of you know verse 7. I'm going to read six with it. It's the Apostle Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. He said, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Okay? It's important that we know that, that, that we're, we're not with him personally here on earth. He's with us. He's with us spiritually. He's, he's, he lives in us. But to be face-to-face -face with him isn't going to happen until we're with him in heaven. So we are away from the Lord so we live by faith and not by sight. It's a very powerful verse that we need to understand. We don't get to see him, yet we live by faith in him. Does that make sense to everybody? So who walks by sight? Those that would say they're not followers of Jesus would walk by sight because that's all they know, right? before you considered yourself a follower of Jesus. Or if you're here today and you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you would say, yeah, that's how I live my life. I live by what I can see, what I can prove, what I can understand. That's the normal way to live. But when you become a Christian, everything changes. You don't walk by sight anymore. You live by faith. You live by faith in the Son of God. You live by faith in someone that you can't really see with your physical eyes. So Paul's telling us we don't walk by the sight of the things we see. We walk by our faith. This is the mandate. The moment we give our life to Jesus, we immediately go from sight to faith. And sight is about control, and faith is about trust. So this is the tension. This is the battlefield that we're fighting. And it is not an option. Paul didn't say, you know what? It'd probably be good if you walk by faith and not by sight. He's saying that we do walk by faith and not by sight. We don't have the luxury of just living in it by the things that we see. But... On the flip side of that, we're also not limited by the things we see. See, the world is limited by what they see because that's all they know. We're not limited by that. We have a greater purpose that we're living for. We have a God that blesses us, 
that, that helps us to be like a tree planted by the water as we trust him, as we live by faith and put our faith and our hope in him. And that's a beautiful promise. It's a scary proposition because you're doing it blindly sometimes in some ways, but it's also a beautiful thing because we're not limited by just what we see. And you know, this is somewhat offensive to the world too. You know, I was talking last week about how the gospel is offensive in many ways to many people because if your heart hasn't been enlightened to the truth of the gospel, there's many things about the gospel, there's many things in the word of God that don't make sense, so it can be offensive. In fact, you know, when I talk about like giving up our, our business, when I talk to somebody that's not a follower of Jesus and I tell them, yeah, I used to have a building company and it was, you know, it was doing pretty good and gave that up to go into vocational ministry, the look from them is always one of uh, bewilderment, little perplexed, confused, you know? I can kind of see the wheels in their head turning like, this guy's nuts. Why did he do something like that? And I can tell you there's never, and I mean never, a follow-up question from these people. <laughs> Unless it's, hey, how about those braves? You know, it's about changing the subject because it doesn't make sense. However, talk to somebody that's a follower of Jesus about what we've done and they, okay, that's really cool. And there's a, a conversation that ensues because, because we as followers of Jesus understand that we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And sometimes God has us do things that look crazy to the world, that don't make any sense. And so that's, it's honorable, it's admirable to do things that where we're stepping out in faith and we're walking this life of faith and not just by sight. But the world wouldn't really necessarily understand that. And this idea of walking by faith and not sight might be difficult for some of you to even grasp or to latch onto or to comprehend or to uh, really want to make part of your life. Or maybe it's you just want to trust him for salvation, but the rest you want to do on your own, like I said a minute ago. And I, I can tell you today that Paul does not give us an option. He is clearly talking about the life of a believer walking by faith. The, the beginning of the walk starts when we get saved, but that's the very beginning. The rest is us walking it out. It's about trusting him. So Paul's telling us that we don't have the option of just trusting him for salvation and nothing else. He's saying you can't be a follower of Jesus if you're trusting yourself and only using him for a get-out-of-jail-free card. It doesn't work that way. That's what Jeremiah is saying, that you, you will not produce fruit, you will not flourish. You know, Jesus talks about a tree. A good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. He's talking about the life of a human. If you're a Christian, you will bear good fruit by trusting in Jesus. So this isn't to make us feel bad about ourselves, but it could be a good wake-up call or a good starting point for us if you say, you know what, I don't really trust him. I haven't really given any part of my life over to him. I really just want him to save me from going to hell. Then you, you, need, to re, you need to look at your heart and you need to make sure that your heart is in that place of where you really understand what salvation is because salvation is not a one-time thing at an altar. Salvation is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of laying down your life. Jesus says, if you don't lay down your life, if you don't take up your cross and follow me daily, you're not worthy of me. Him saying you're not worthy of me is saying you can't be with me. He's not saying you're not worthy, but I'll still bring you along on the journey. He's saying you can't be my disciple if you're not gonna live like that. So we need to understand that. And if you're here today and you say, you know what, I've never put my trust in him. Well, I'm really glad you're here. I believe the Lord brought you here so that you could hear this message today so that you can put your trust in him because it's never too late. As long as there's breath in your lungs, 
it's never too late to give your heart and your life to Jesus. And I pray that you would not leave this place today without doing that. Now you might ask, well, is there even a place for common sense and the practicality of life in the Christian life? Because we're talking about, you know, we can't trust ourselves. Well, there is a place for it. In fact, I would say that common sense has a place in life. It just doesn't get first place. We have to, we have common, I, I, I really enjoy having common sense and being practical. God wired me that way. So, you know, I love it. And, I, you know, there's the book of Proverbs is dedicated to find, to the, the definition of wisdom and what that looks like in our life and living a life of wisdom. So there's a place for us to use and have common sense in our life. But it will always be a tension because even the places that we have common sense, we have to understand that it still comes under the idea of trusting him first. You know, it's common sense to put on your seatbelt when you get in a car to drive. But my trust isn't in my seatbelt. My trust is still in my God. Right? So we do those things, but that's not where our faith is. That's not where our trust is. We're not controlling our life. We're trusting in our God, even in the midst of having common sense. Now, the flip side of that is there's a real danger for some of us to want to be super spiritual and not have any common sense. And I'm just walking by faith. I'm just, I'm just living by faith that we sit back and we do nothing and we use it as an excuse to be lazy. You know, I'm just, I'm just living by faith. No, you need to go out and get a job. I'm just living by faith. I'm trusting God. Well, you can trust God to get your tail to the place that's hiring, right? Like we still have to do this life. We still have to live this life. There's no place where the Bible tells us, hey, just sit back and do nothing. God will take care of everything. Man, I wish he did. We'd all be partying, right? But he doesn't. But God, God bless, this is the thing. Faith starts in the heart, but it's revealed in our hands. It's revealed by what we do, right? James tells us very, very clearly that what you do reveals where your faith is. And that faith without works is dead. So there's no place for us to be lazy in this life and just say, I'm walking by faith, I'm walking by faith. Walking by faith when, when you got bills piling up or you're not taking care of your, your body or your family or your kids. That's not walking by faith. That's being lazy. And God would call us to walk by faith. It's all about where we fix our gaze. In the, the previous chapter from 2 Corinthians 5, obviously it would be chapter 4, Paul says in verse 18. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what, on, on what is unseen which is the same thing as saying we walk by faith and not by sight. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So this is all about having an eternal perspective. It's all about knowing that there, that's why we can flourish in the midst of difficult situations because we know that this world is not our home. We're not residents of earth. Well, I'm sorry, we're residents of earth. We're citizens of heaven. And this is temporary for all of us. And we have to be very, very deliberate and intentional about where we fix our gaze, where we're focusing. Our, it, it doesn't mean that there's not other things in life that we have to look at, but our focus is on the eternal. When I'm driving my car, it's okay for me to glance out the side windows or in the rearview mirror or at the radio or not at my phone though, right kids? We don't glance at our phone while we're driving, but everything else, right? But at my focus better be straight ahead. I can glance, but the focus needs to be straight ahead. And my focus is straight ahead. I, the other things don't distract me as much in my life. Paul says, don't fix your eyes on what is seen. Fix your eyes on what is unseen, which is very difficult to do because we like to see what we see. 
but we can see what we don't see if we have an eternal perspective in our life. The very idea of living by faith and not by sight is countercultural. And this is a battlefield that we fight because we have to live in our culture. So it's something that we have to deal with all the time in life, not only our own flesh, but also with society. Society would say it's foolish to trust in a God that we can't see, to trust in something we cannot see. Statistically, they say 80% of the United States believes in God, but the overwhelming majority of those people believe in some entity, some God out there in the cosmos, and it's okay to believe in him, but don't put your trust in him. Don't make decisions. Don't let your life hinge on whether or not this God comes through for you. You know, that's what society would say. They would say just, you know, pray. You know, if your plane's going down, that's the time to pray. But other than that, you know, you kind of can take care of yourself and kind of do your own thing. They would say, why would you trust a God that allows COVID-19 to decimate this world for over a year now? Why would you trust a God that's allowed unimaginable suffering, allowed famines and wars and and rulers that have been tyrannical. Why would you trust a God that allows those things? But that's, that, that's what the world would say because the world doesn't have the perspective that we have, right? And we can't expect the world to have the perspective that we have. The world's gonna, it's gonna glorify self-sufficiency. It's gonna glorify being independent, right? Because they don't understand what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. But we don't get mad at the world for feeling that way. We can't expect the world to act like Christians. They don't have the Spirit of God living in them. So they don't, we can't expect them to act like us. That, I, I find it humorous when we get so mad at the world for their stances on important issues that go against the Word of God. I'm like, well, why would we expect the world to, to use this as their standard? They don't know it. You know, if we want to change the world, we gotta, we got to get the principles of the Word of God in us that we can affect the world and affect people through the love of Jesus. And when people fall in love with Jesus, their standards change, right? So that's how we change it, not by trying to win the argument, because you're not gonna convince them of things that are, that are necessarily scriptural because many of the people don't care about the scriptures because it's not the, that's not the, it's not the uh, standard that they live their life by. So we can't force that on them. And you know, really, we're just being like Thomas out of the Bible, you know, you think about Thomas and he, he was labeled Doubting Thomas, which is really unfortunate because he probably acted like all of us would have acted in the same situation. So Jesus had risen from the dead and he had revealed himself to some of the, the women in his life and some of the disciples, and, but Thomas wasn't there. So when they told Thomas, hey, Jesus is alive, Thomas said, I'm not gonna believe it till I see it. And so the next time Jesus appeared before them, Thomas was there and he went up to Thomas and he said, Thomas, look in my hands put your hand in my side. He said, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas' response was beautiful. He says, my Lord and my God. He believed in that moment. And it was a beautiful thing. Then Jesus gives us an encouragement for everybody that's going to come after Thomas. So for you and me, out of John 20 and verse 29, look what he says. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is telling us, listen, you're not going to see but you still can believe and you're gonna be blessed. He's basically going back to the words of Jeremiah. He's saying, if you trust me, you'll be blessed. You'll flourish. Even though you haven't seen me, you can still trust me because we walk by faith and not by sight. Secondly, the tension of being skeptical versus naive. This is the hindrance. The first one was the mandate. Now we're talking about the hindrance, the thing that really can get in our way. 
Because, you know, there's always a tension here because none of us want to be skeptical or naive, but, but we're all skeptical or naive at some time and at different points in our walk, in this walk of faith, when it comes to really trusting God. It's easy to be skeptical, and it's also easy to be naive when it comes to trusting Him because there's so much about it we don't really understand. But I can tell you that on this walk, this journey of faith that we take, that skepticism will keep us from really stepping out and obeying God in the way that he would want us to. Let me, uh, let me illustrate it with a, a story of, from, my, from my 20s. I think I was in my mid-20s. And I had done uh, two internships with Youth With A Mission. It's called YWAM. Some of you know about that organization. It's an international missions organization. I did two five-month internships with them. And uh, I got to travel and do some really great things and, and see people come to Jesus and do some training and learned a lot about my own walk. And I went back home to Ohio and, and uh, kind of settled in for about six months, I had a job and was, you know, I was working a lot in my church. I was really uh, being, uh, trying to just take what God had given me and, and help even in the local church. And I was gaining an influence and, and just enjoying what I was doing. But I started to feel like the Lord was leading me to go back into YWAM and really help serve there. And that the next season of my life was going to be dedicated to missions. And uh, I resisted a little bit at first because I was kind of getting comfortable. But, you know, I love Jesus. And I said, well, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. But here's what you got to do for me. <laughs> I bargained with God. That never goes well, by the way. But I bargained with him. I said, okay, God, because I had bought a car and uh, acquired a little bit of debt. And, you know, if, if you know anything about these missions organizations, they don't pay you. You have to come up with your own support. So I knew I wasn't going to be able to afford to have this nice new car. And so I said, okay, God, I'm going to sell my car. And when my car sells, that'll be the sign that I'm supposed to go. And I figured it'd be easy. My car was nice, and we lived on a busy street. I could put my car out in the driveway, and we've done this many times where we've sold vehicles, and they sell no time because of a high-traffic area. And so I cleaned up my car real nice. I put it out, and I waited days, and then weeks, and then months, and nothing. I mean, barely one or two people might have come by and actually asked about it, and that was it. And I started to get discouraged. But the thing was, I didn't want to be naive in my faith. I didn't want to just be, you know, reckless and just do something even though I definitely felt like God was prompting me to do this, to go. But I was resisting because I just didn't want to have to deal with the burden of this while I was gone. I didn't, want to, I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I was getting more and more miserable over the weeks and months to the point where I remember being in my room one night and I finally was, I was on my knees in my bedroom praying and I finally said, okay, God, I'll just go. I'll go. And you'll have to figure out my car and all the other stuff, but I'm just going to go. And I'll, I'll never forget it because I felt the weight of the world fall off of me because I knew that I had been in disobedience up to that point. And uh, so I bought a plane ticket, packed my bags. It was like a week later that I was set to go. I was leaving on a Tuesday morning, and this was Monday night before that Tuesday, the day, the day before, and there was a knock on the door. And wouldn't you know it, there's a middle-aged guy standing there with his 16-year-old daughter, and he said, hey, is your car still for sale? And at this point, I didn't even have the car out. It was like, I think it was in the garage. He says, is that car still for sale or did you sell it? I said, no, it's still for sale. He said, well, I came by, you know, last week and I saw how much you wanted for it. I think it was like, I don't remember how much it was. He said, I saw what you wanted for it. Are you still willing to take that price? I said, yeah. He pulls a cashier's check out of his pocket, hands it to me and says, I'll take the keys. Unbelievable. I mean, literally about eight, nine hours before I was set to leave. Maybe, probably for, well, it ended up being pretty much forever. And I learned that was a life-changing moment in my life because I didn't want to be naive, so I was putting out this fleece like Gideon, but then I got to where it wasn't working, so then I became skeptical. 
And I was struggling with that because I didn't, I, I was so young in my faith too. And I was like, God, I don't know how this looks. I want to be responsible. You know, I, I don't want to be somebody that's, that's reckless. And, and what God showed me in those situations is that when he's leading us to do something, it's okay to be reckless because it's not reckless when he's leading you to do it. Because if he's going to do something, if he's guiding you somewhere, he's going to provide for what you need in that place. And it changed my life. And it, it, it set me on this journey of living this life of faith where my level of trusting him has overridden my level of wanting to control my life in huge ways. And it's just built from that moment on. Now, do I not struggle at all with any control in my life? Of course I do. But man, I can just see where the Lord has taken me on this journey. And it all started by me being willing to just say, okay, God, I'll do it. I'll trust you. I'm not going to trust my own instincts. I'm not going to trust my own wisdom. I'm not going to trust my own strength. I'm going to trust you. And when I did, he met me in that place. And I know that I know that I know that he waited to sell that car until I made that decision that I was going. I know it so much that if I had never done it, that car would probably still be sitting there. That was 20 years ago, so it wouldn't look good now. But that's, that's what he was doing, and he was, he was teaching me that I can trust him, that I can have faith in him, and that I don't have to control my situations. But you know, if we want to be skeptical, there's tons and tons of opportunities for it. In every way, we can be skeptical in our faith and kind of have that wait-and-see approach in our life, right? But God doesn't call us to have a wait-and-see approach. He calls us to step out in faith and trust him. Yeah. Now, not, not to trust him because this is something I want. You know, there's the opposite of that, too. It's like, well, I really want a new Mercedes, so I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to trust him, you know? It's not about that. It's about being led by him. It's about being prompted by him and, and submitting to his leading in our lives. But we can be so skeptical because some, some of us, probably most of us, have had moments where we've been disappointed with God because he didn't come through in a way that we thought he was supposed to. Some of you may be disappointed with God right now. And I know some of you are thinking, you can't say that you're disappointed with God. What are you doing, Pastor? And I would say to that, let's not be so religious that we are not willing to be real with where we are. Okay? Amen? I want to tell you, the reason the world out there is not banging down our doors to get in is because of the fact that we are so religious and trying to act like we have it all together. The world wants to see transparency. They want to see authenticity. So it's okay for us to let the world know, hey, I love Jesus, but I sure don't have it all together. We're all on this journey together. If you guys are looking for a perfect pastor, you need to go down the road somewhere because there ain't one here. I can tell you that. We're on this journey together, walking out this life, this, this faith walk that we're on. So it's okay to admit, it's actually helpful to admit, you know what, I'm disappointed with God. You know what, in the last year during COVID, I've had moments of disappointment. Sure I have. Now, it's important that we don't stay in that place, right? Like I, I, I check my heart quickly and make sure I don't stay there because frankly, if we're disappointed with God, all that is is it's a sign that we're not applying his word correctly to our life. Because God doesn't disappoint. He doesn't let us down. He's always faithful. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He's always there with us. He goes through all the battles with us. So if we're disappointed with him, it's just that we're not applying his word to our life. And we need to be reminded of Romans 8, 28, that he works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All things, not some things, not most things, not everything but one, every single one of them, he works them out. So we need to get our hearts and our minds back in line with his word and apply his word to our life and trust him and understand that. But, but we also have to be real to be able to say, yeah, I've been disappointed. 
I've been disappointed with God. So it's made me skeptical. It's made it difficult for me to step out in faith because maybe you got some bad teaching, you know, or maybe you misinterpreted something, or maybe you put out a fleece like Gideon and it didn't work out the way you thought it should. Or you prayed and you asked God for something. You, you wanted him to heal a relative and, and the person didn't get healed on this side of heaven. And so you become skeptical about what it really looks like to trust him. How can I trust him? Because things didn't always go the way I thought they should go. But there's the point right there is that we're looking at it according to the way we think it should go. If we really trust him, we understand that he's sovereign, that his ways are higher than our ways, that we can never understand his ways. I will never understand why he allowed COVID. We don't have to. He doesn't owe it to us to explain it to us why that has been allowed to happen. The fact is he's sovereign, he's good, he's trustworthy, he's a good father, he's a better parent than any of us could ever dream of being. He loves us more than we could ever dream of loving anybody in our life, and we can trust him. So we just have to apply his word to our life. Some of you may be disappointed with people, with Christians. You know, part of the, probably the biggest reason that we as Christians get skeptical about walking in faith is seeing other Christians doing it and doing it wrong or doing it based on bad doctrine or bad teaching. You know, we got this, I know I talk about this a lot, but I just feel like it's gotta be talked about a lot that there is just this doctrine out there, this prosperity doctrine that is straight out of the pit of hell, that is here to destroy and it does not build the church. It gives a false sense of security and eventually you fall because God doesn't do exactly what you think he should do because what the prosperity gospel does is it makes you the center of the world. You're the star of the show. God's here for you. I mean, all you got to do is say, Jesus, I love you. Forgive me my sins. And man, it is on from that moment. Just open up your wallet and watch him fill it up. You know, just say you love him and trust him. Watch him do everything you want him to do. And it is so off base because your life is not about you. That's humanism. That, that life is about the happiness of man. It is absolutely not about the happiness of man. It is about the glory of God. It is about his kingdom. It's about his purpose for your life. And his goodness in your life is still to glorify him, not to glorify you. He wants to, he wants to bless humility because he knows that it, that blessing will, res, will be returned to him as glory for him and thanksgiving to him. So maybe you've had bad teaching or bad doctrine that's caused you to be skeptical because somebody told you that God has to do this for you because X, Y, Z, and he didn't do it. And so now it's like, well, I don't know what it means to trust him then, or I don't know if I can trust him because he let me down. But it's not that he let you down, it's that you had bad teaching or you had a bad interpretation of something. God's never let anybody down in the history of the world, and he never will. And so it's, it can cause us to be skeptical in our walk with him. The challenge, though, is not to be skeptical or naive, but to be expectant. We are called to be expectant that God is going to work in our life, that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, that he's going to be faithful in our life. Hebrews 11 and verse 6, the second part of verse 6, he says, Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's who he is. That's about being expectant, that I can come to him and I can earnestly seek him. He's going to reward me, not reward me with a Mercedes or a huge house. He's going to reward me by relationship with me. He's going to reward me by helping me to flourish inside that I won't be one of those empty hollow fruits, that I'll be a fruit that's sweet and juicy and produces in life, right? That's the reward we get for really trusting our God. All right, let me give you the last one and I'll finish up. The last tension, this is the fruit of living a life of trusting God is the, the tension is freedom versus fear. The fruit of trust is freedom. The fruit of control is fear. Amen. Very simply put. Now we can talk about fear for days and days and days. 
You could preach on fear probably every week because everybody deals with fear on some level. It manifests in anxiety or worry or maybe just downright terror and just being afraid. But everybody on some level deals with this in some part of their life. And what happens is that fear, the areas that we have fear in life, the areas that we have anxiety in life, those are the areas that we control. Those are the areas where it's very difficult for us to trust God because we feel like the only way to control the fear in our life is to control the situation. So those are the areas where we can really, really struggle, where we actually become control freaks in our life. I mean, if you think about it, if the area, whatever area can cause you stress or anxiety in your life, whether it's finances, your health, your kids, uh, school, whatever it is, your boss, your, your job, whatever area it is that you would struggle with fear, you, if you look at your life, that is the area that you're trying to control the most too. That's the tendency, I should say, is to want to control that. If you're worry, if money worries you like crazy, you're going to want to control that money and you're going to, you're going to want to do everything you can do to get as much as you can to make sure that things are taken care of because it's a fear. And so we tend to want to control it. I can say in my own life, uh, God's blessed me. I really don't struggle much with fear and anxiety, but if there's one area I can struggle with, it's the fear of failure. And it, 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 can, it can rear its ugly head in my life sometimes. And I, 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 try, I try to have victory over it in my life and I, I determine I'm gonna trust God, but there's, we all have those moments of weakness, right? And so if I'm, if I'm fearing failure in an area of my life, let's say it's in leading this church, the tendency for me would be to just work harder, to just do more, to make sure everything's perfect, to, to prep sermons better, to, to control every aspect, to you know, micromanage the worship team, the greeting team, the, the, the week in, week out stuff in the offices and to control everything because I'm so worried that we're gonna fail and I can't allow that to happen. That would be the tendency. And so we have to recognize where those fears are in our life and make sure that we're being intentional to trust God with it. To say, okay, I'm not going, I'm gonna take my hands off of this and I'm gonna allow God to work in this and I'm gonna trust him. We have to be very, very intentional with that because the 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 fact of the matter is, is that the gospel is a paradox. A paradox is something that looks like it's contradictory on the surface, but when you really understand it, you realize it's not. But the gospel is a paradox because the only way to really be free in this life is to become a slave to Christ. Okay? That's what the Bible says. Uh, Paul says that you were a slave to sin now you're a slave to righteousness. And that we are, we are purchased by Christ. He says our life is not our own anymore. Jesus paid a great price for our lives. So if you really want to be free, you've got to be completely given to Jesus. That's a paradox because it, it seems to be the opposite. All right? Because our tendency is to think if I really want to be free, I have to control everything. Because that's, that's how I can make sure that things go my way is by controlling the gospel says you don't control. If you really want to be free, you give yourself completely and totally and utterly to Jesus. That's how you actually live a life of freedom on this earth. And that's difficult for us. It's a, it's, again, it's another tension that we deal with in our life. But you know, honestly, church, there should be times in our faith where we are terrified because of the steps we're taking in faith. There should be, if you're never scared in your faith, you're probably not doing it right. You're probably living much, much too safely because we are designed to, to, to step out. If we really want to live the life of freedom that God has called us to, it's going to require times of stepping out even when we're afraid. 
It really is. That's the only way. Me stepping out and saying, okay, God, I'm going to go, even though my car hasn't sold, that was terrifying. I know it seems trivial now, looking in hindsight, but for me in that moment, it was a terrifying thing. But I determined I was going to do it, and I got a level of freedom from that that I didn't have before. And it's brought me to this place where almost a year ago, we transitioned into leading this church. I can tell you that was terrifying. Like, I, I felt like it was what the Lord was doing, but I mean, anytime you're stepping into the leadership of a great church like this, especially during a pandemic, and you start to wonder, am I going to be good enough? Am I enough? You know, I, you're, I'm following a 45-year tenured pastor. Am I going to be enough? Is everybody going to leave? Is my first Sunday as the pastor here going to be me and Joy and a couple staff? You know, you could start going to those places. It was, it was terrifying. I felt like it was what the Lord was doing, but it was still kind of scary to step out into that. But when you step into that, you get to another, another level of freedom. When we don't allow our fear to control us, but we reject that fear and we step anyway, God brings new levels of freedom in our life. And let me tell you, there is nothing like living free. I mean, there is nothing in this world like living free. We all want security in life. And that's not even a bad thing to want security. But it's all about where that security comes from. Security doesn't come from you controlling. Security comes from you being given to Jesus completely and totally. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in the world and all who live in it. The earth, if we can understand this, we can grasp this in our life, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Well, then who else am I going to trust? Amen. Who else is there to trust other than the owner of it all? The one who holds it all in the palm of his hand. These are going to be constant tensions and battles in our life. The design, the, the hope is that as we walk this journey, as we walk this life of faith over sight, that we win more of the battles than we lose. And even when we lose the battles, that we are quick to turn and repent and say, God, I, I lost this battle of trust and control. I controlled this situation. But we ask God's forgiveness. He cleanses us. We move on. And next time we're ready to trust him in a greater way because that's his plan for all of us. Would you stand with me, please? And I'll close. In conclusion, I just want to say one more thing about fear, because I would be remiss if we didn't mention this today. But just to make sure I'm saying it and it is clear, fear is never from God. Never, ever from God. Okay, there may be reservation. God may put a, a check in your spirit about something. But fear, anxiety, worry, doubt never, ever comes from God. In fact, the Apostle Paul was very clear in his second letter to Timothy, and you, most of you know this verse, 1-7. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. It doesn't come from him. What he has given us is a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. That's who he is. That is what gives us, that spirit, that Holy Spirit in us is what gives us the ability to trust him in ways that somebody that isn't a follower of Jesus could never understand because it doesn't make any sense. It's offensive that I'm gonna trust in a God I can't see. But as I said last week, you know, the only person we need to fear is Jesus. And that's not a fear, a, a trembling fear. That's not a being scared of him, it's a reverence. It's an honoring, it's a putting him first. And if we put him first, if we fear him, we don't have to fear anything else. I love it. That's words to live by. We don't ever have to fear anything else if we honor him above all else. So I want to pray for us. I just want to pray that, that this, this issue of trust and control 
would be something that we'd be willing to give over to him. We'd be able to trust him in ways that we just want to always be growing and getting better. I'm not suggesting you should walk out of here today and never deal with control ever again. You know, depending on how you're wired, some of us are wired more to control than others. Some are a little more laid back than others and can tend to be on the kind of the lazy side of faith. Whichever one it is, if it's out of balance, it's not good. It's all about giving our, our trust and our hope and our faith in him. He's worthy of it and deserves it. So I just ask you to respond as we pray today. You can receive this prayer, lift your hands, kneel, close your eyes, whatever it is. Let's receive this today. Father, we thank you today that your word tells us that we can trust you. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we're not trying to figure this out on our own. And God, we want to trust you in greater ways. Lord, I know the hearts in this place and those listening online that we want to trust you. But our flesh is always getting in the way, Lord. Our flesh is always rising up. God, help us to win these battles of control versus trust. Lord, help us, help us to see what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, to have our common sense and have practical aspects in life, but not to let those rule over our faith life. And God, help us not to be skeptical or naive, but to trust you completely, to be led by your prompting. Father God, we actually, Lord, for, for the times where we've been skeptical and we have controlled and we've give, given into fear in our life, Lord, we come today and we repent. We ask your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you forgive us. Lord, we don't want to be so religious that we want to act like we have it all together. We want to be real with you because we know being real with you is where true freedom comes from. That when we surrender ourselves to you, Lord, when we ask you to forgive us, that we know that you not only forgive us, but you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we ask you today to meet us in that place of need, God. Meet us in that place, Lord. We want to walk in freedom, trusting you in ways like a child trusts their dad, that everything's going to be okay when dad's around, and that our eyes would be fixed on you, that we would have eyes for what is unseen over what is seen. And Lord, for anybody in this place today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, would you touch their heart with your incredible love today? Father, I pray that you would pierce all of our hearts with your love and that we would all put our trust in you, that we would trust you to forgive us for our sins, that we would trust you to have complete, total access to our life, that we would live this life for you and not for ourselves anymore. Lord, as John the Baptist said, may we decrease so that you can increase in our life. And we'll give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. You're the only one that deserves it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Good God. We serve a good God, church. He's good.